of all the topics that often divide Christians, the issue of the Blessed Virgin Mary is one which is perhaps most divisive. Now, if you are a Christian living in the Western world, this division is largely between Protestant and Catholic. However, we must recognize that Mary plays a central role for many Eastern Christians in the various Orthodox communions, Russian, Byzantine. And we also recognize that the Blessed Virgin Mary has played a significant role specifically in discussions about the incarnation of Christ. Jesus appears in the New Testament not out of vapor or out of mere smoke or wind or air. He arrives through the womb of a particular woman at a particular point in history. Without the yes of Mary in Luke chapter 1, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. We would have no incarnation, and we therefore would not have the pouring of the precious blood of Jesus needed for the salvation of souls. So as far as Christianity is concerned, whether you are a Protestant or an Orthodox or a Catholic listening to this, we cannot deny the centrality of the role of Mary in the partaking of the flesh and blood that the second person of the Trinity, the Logos, the Word, accomplished for our redemption. The reason why we can even say Jesus, the name of a man, and yet also to the name of God, is because of the pivotal role that Mary played in salvation history. Now, this being said, there have been many different uh, warring interpretations of how exalted her role can be. And these warring interpretations largely are the result of the church's meditation and development of its understanding of the emphasis which we give the Virgin Mary. Of course, one of these developing ideas is that Mary, at the point of her entering into eternity, did not simply mold in the ground and decay, like you or me, but fulfilling the words of the psalm, you will not suffer your Holy One to see corruption, was assumed body and soul to heaven. This idea is commonly called the assumption. And the assumption is a term which is used largely in the Western Catholic Church, although the East has the same idea. It's called the Dormition, or the sleeping of Mary. Now, Roman Catholics in the West are permissible uh, in believing that either Mary was taken body and soul right away up to the throne of heaven, or they are allowed to believe what was the older and uh, perhaps the more authentic tradition from the East, that Mary first was allowed to, uh, to pass, so for the soul to be separated from the body, she falls asleep, she dies, and then after a duration of time, usually it's about three days later, uh, her tomb is found empty, and she's taken body and soul to heaven. But in either case, Western Roman Catholics are permitted to believe either. Among Protestants, this is a largely challenging concept, and they largely try to argue against it, um, although not all Protestants at all, on the grounds that it was made an official uh, dogma of the Catholic Church as late as the, the 50s under Pope Pius Twelfth. And it was also to established 
as a result of supposedly very thin patristic early church evidence. Now, as for the dogmatizing of this particular element of the life of the Blessed Virgin Mary, I think that could be a whole other discussion about the papacy and the role of Peter and the Vicar of Christ. This is naturally a thorny issue, and the goal of this channel is actually to build ecumenical bridges between Protestant, Catholic, and Orthodox. So I believe that that issue should be bracketed and put aside for a moment. However, as for the patristic evidence, the early church evidence, I think this is something which validates a legitimate discussion. And I'd like to provide why I believe if you are a Protestant, a Catholic, or Orthodox, a non-denominational, or whatever your uh, denominational affiliation, why I believe that it is perfectly licit to believe in the Assumption of Mary as plausible and frankly um, as reliable as a historical event. And my, my arguments will first stem from the data that currently exists. First of all, uh, Gavin Ortland, who runs the channel The Truth Unites, it's a wonderful YouTube channel for Protestant apologetics. And frankly, he's one of the best apologists for Christianity I know now. I'd love to interview him. He's an eminent, wonderful scholar. Um, he tries to refute the belief of the historicity of the Assumption along the following grounds. The claim is it doesn't appear, obviously, in the pages of the Bible. It doesn't appear at all in the second or, uh, for that matter, first century at all. However, in the third century, we've come across a Gnostic document where the soul of Mary is taken to God. It's somewhat ambiguous about what happens to her body. And it has an angel of Christology, so an image of Jesus as an angel, not as God. So you could see why this Gnostic document was rejected by the church. But it's quite old. It's, it is still third century. Then you come to the fourth century, and there's tons of speculation uh, whether uh, Mary had an unusual end or not. But it's towards the fifth or sixth century AD that suddenly you have a flurry of competing traditions. Some say Mary died as a martyr. Others will make the extraordinary claim that uh, Mary has simply a, a soul that ascends to heaven, not necessarily the body. Some will make the claim that the body is taken to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, believe it or not, and preserved until the time of the end where a soul will be reunited with the body. Of course, some hold to the orthodox view that body and soul were both taken up to heaven. So on this grounds, Gavin Ortland argues, well, if you had one accurate apostolic tradition, that she was taking body and soul to heaven. Why all these competing viewpoints? Why, why all these competing perspectives? And that's a very valid point. I, I think that if you are coming from a Catholic or Orthodox background, it's important to legitimize and understand um, how plausible the arguments against can be. And I, I think that that appears on the surface to be a strong argument. However, there are some good reasons to complicate Ortland's refutal of uh, you know, refuting of the idea that this tradition is necessarily apostolic. And the reason why is just because you have competing traditions arising in the uh, 5th and 6th century AD doesn't necessarily mean that there wasn't an accurate understanding of what happened which was lost. What do I mean by this? Well, for example, 
Uh, we now know things from the Dead Sea Scrolls from Qumran, uh, discovered in 1947, 1948, around the time of the formation of the State of Israel, that help us understand better what New Testament terms mean that were lost after the first century AD. The whole idea of a Protestant Reformation is actually to recover material which was previously lost, to try to uh, arrive at a more authentic understanding of what the biblical text means, and of course of apostolic tradition. So the idea that, for example, the accurate notion of the body, bodily assumption of Mary could have been forgotten and then rediscovered in the 6th century, um, it's not implausible. And we must realize that there was vast Roman persecution of the church uh, during the 2nd and 3rd and 4th century. So this, this is uh, something that we need to recognize as we go forward, that evidence can be lost and it can be rediscovered as well. Furthermore, um, when we are told that there is no evidence at all within the second century, um, this isn't necessarily true. There is one document, and I think it deserves a future podcast, uh, that does claim to describe a bodily assumption of Mary that purports to be from the second century AD. This is quite remarkable. Uh, this is something that I believe warrants a lot of interpretation and argument. It's largely dismissed by the scholarly field. But keep in mind, the whole world dismissed the finding of Troy by Heinrich Schliemann until he showed irrefutable evidence that there was at Hisarlik, Turkey, indeed a, a fortress and a city of, of that particular description found in Homer. So once again, I think that's still on the table. But the most convincing argument for me, the most convincing is the fact that there are no relics of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Now, someone might say, well, John, uh, clearly we have pieces of her veil. We have, you know, tons of material that she supposedly handled. Yes, but when I'm referring to relics, I'm referring to first-class relics here. There are no bodily remains of Mary. And believe me, if there was not an early church belief that she was bodily assumed into heaven... Um, and they had no relics, they easily could have forged or made them. This is something which unfortunately was quite common. So the fact that there never, never, never was uh, a purported uh, skeleton of the Blessed Virgin Mary running around, or of Joseph, tells me that the earliest church, probably from the first or second century, uh, did consistently believe in her bodily assumption. And if that information was lost in the in, during the second and third century during Roman persecution, well, it's, it's understandable. Many documents were burnt, including even uh, supposedly autographs of the Gospels. But that's a whole other discussion. So, uh, why is this important? Well, Polycarp of Smyrna is the disciple of the Apostle John. Polycarp is not a common name. I know to many of uh, you, he he might even sound like a Pokemon. But uh, Polycarp was someone who at least knew the last surviving apostle. He was not only in contact with John, but John was supposedly the caretaker of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Ephesus. John had direct contact with Mary. And Polycarp, we know, uh, when he died, according to his martyrdom account, after his body was burnt, there were many who went to risk of their own lives, to get a hold of the charred pieces of bone. That's how intense the early church believed in relics. And the reason why is they thought that the body was sacred. They didn't think of it as a disposable shell. They thought that every 
body of a Christian is a temple for God, a temple for the Holy Spirit, and therefore the bodies of the saints, as biblically defined, should be venerated. Now, you know, we can distinguish between this practice and what develops in the High Middle Ages, for example, before the Reformation. But um, this was a very early church practice, along with the intercession of saints, at least as early as the third century. So the reason why I'm getting into this here is if the first generation after the apostles venerated the relics of the saints, then clearly had Mary's relics been known, had, had, had they been readily available, then uh, they would have been preserved or forged relics would have been made in their place. The fact that they never come up indicates to me that something funny happened to the body. And the fact that she is the one who gives flesh and blood to the Messiah. Let's think of this logically, right? When we receive the Eucharist, we receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. And as such, we know that when Jesus says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him and I will raise him up at the last day. That what this means is that our partaking of the resurrection body is somewhat contingent, we don't know how, but mystically, on partaking of the Eucharist, the body of Jesus. Now, where does Jesus get his body and blood? He gets it from Mary. If the Father would not leave the body and blood of the Son to mold in the ground, but would raise it bodily the third day, as we will rise, what then is more plausible, that God would allow his mother, who has given him flesh and blood, to also mold in the dirt? Is that really plausible? I don't think so. I think that God the Son would certainly want to take care of his mother, and if at all possible, to take her bodily to where he is. And I believe the same thing could be argued for Joseph, but that will be a whole other podcast, and it's much something which is much more complicated. So this is... Um, I believe, a good philosophical argument. And the absence of relics, I think, speaks very highly. I, I think people could downplay this. But um, in light of Roman persecution, um, at least a third century account of some kind of assumption of Mary, and the absence of relics, I historically believe that Mary did return either to Ephesus or to the Mount of Olives, and there she was bodily assumed into heaven. Now, obviously, this is a dogma for Roman Catholics. And for most Eastern Christians, this is certain. But my goal is to reach out to Protestant listeners who would rather dismiss this as later accretion. Because if we are to fully understand these events as reliable, I think it would allow us to realize that the portrait of the early church is much broader, it's much more expansive than meets the eye. You know, and if we have more data about the early church, I think it would point to more points of harmonization between these denominational traditions than uh, initially assumed. So I'm eager to get your take um, and, and also to your critiques as well. And I'm hoping that this will be a bridge building opportunity for all Christians. And I look forward to hearing your comments and the uh, wonderful discourses which I hope to follow. May God richly bless you all.